Hi, I'm Isra Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hunt. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. After the Patriots go down in Minnesota on Thanksgiving night, 33-26, to they drop to 6-5 and five on the season. We're going to chat with three-time Super Bowl champ James White in just a little bit. But man, this one, it's a difficult loss. It's a difficult pill to swallow after watching the way that this team played tonight. Because what I thought was going to happen tonight is I was going to come on here. I was going to talk about, hey, Mac looks like the guy that we saw for the majority of his rookie season. He looked really good. I feel better about the offense. But instead, we have to talk about a loss for the Patriots. And I want to start with the officials because I feel like this is a massive storyline after the game, despite the fact that the broadcast didn't really want to talk about it. This was a massive part of the game. The officiating was bad tonight. And I don't want to just sound like somebody that's bitching about the refs all the time. But when it's part of the game, when it's a massive storyline in terms of what transpired on the field, we have to talk about the officials. And let's get to the Henry thing first, where you took four points off the board if you were the officials. I thought it was bullshit. I thought that was a catch by Hunter Henry. And I don't know why nobody on the broadcast pushed back against it at all. Everybody thought it wasn't a catch. You look at it, you can go through on Twitter, look at the slow-mos, all that stuff, the close-ups. To me, I still believe it's a catch. Maybe I'm going to look like an idiot in a couple of days for thinking that, but I truly believe, I'm not being emotional here, I truly believe that that was a catch by Hunter Henry, and it screws the Patriots that they lose the four points there. And you saw Des Bryant, too, on Twitter. It was kind of funny watching this, where he tweets, 85, nasty catch about Henry, of course. Then he tweets, the guy who said that's incomplete needs to shut the hell up. I'm turning this game off. SMFH, who's trying to play Madden PS5? So I thought that was kind of entertaining that Des Bryant was worked up about this. I love how he always gets worked up when a catch that you think's a catch gets called a non-catch. So to me, and especially considering the call in the field was a catch, I just think that they should have kept that as a catch. I believe Hunter Henry caught that football. And for it to be so difficult for these officials to determine what's a catch and what's not a catch, it seems like we have these conversations every year, just clean it up. And then another big play in the game, in terms of the officials missing it, was the face mask on Mac Jones. The Patriots are down a touchdown at that point. That's a critical drive in the game. It should have been extended. That's a 15-yard penalty, and the Patriots don't get that opportunity. And they barely touch it on NBC. Mike Tirico says it as they're going to break. When they come back from break, they don't even talk about it. That's a massive play in the game. I don't know what the hell NBC's doing. They were asleep at the wheel tonight with the broadcast. I mean, by the way, Jason Garrett is horrible. That guy doesn't even seem like a real person. He seems like a robot when he's talking. That guy makes no sense the entire night. Dungy was not good either. It was just a rough broadcast all in all. And this is a massive part of the game, and you guys aren't talking about this. I, and quite frankly, I don't know how you missed that face mask. You saw how heated Mac Jones was. So those are two big plays in the game. Now, you can debate the Hunter Henry one. I'm standing by my take that it was a catch. But this one you can't debate. You cannot miss that call. This is a critical game. By the way, it's a primetime game. You can't miss that call if you're the officials. All right, so let's get into some of the issues in this game from a Patriots perspective. The special teams, man. 
Oh my God, what happened to the special teams tonight? So after you take that 23 to 16 lead, you feel like, okay, the Patriots are rolling here. You allow the touchdown on the return. Now you can argue that Duggar was held, but he shouldn't have put himself in that position. He should have been out wider and containing that play. And then all of a sudden you get the touchdown the other way. So yes, from my perspective, it was a penalty, but still Duggar can't put himself in that position in that particular situation there. And then of course, the big one is Pierre Strong runs into the punter, extends the drive where you're getting the ball back at a critical juncture in the game. That crap can't happen. So last week, you saved the day if you were the special teams. Marcus Jones had that outstanding return. And today, the special teams is a massive reason the Patriots lose the game. Oh, and by the way, just circling back to the atrocious broadcast tonight, how many times are they going to say, hey, I don't want to be in the meeting room and the special teams meeting this week. Yeah, we get it, guys. The joke was funny the first time, and it was okay the first time, I should say. It was pretty funny. But uh, do you have to keep repeating it? Like, how many times are you going to say that th- throughout the night? I'm sorry. I don't mean to be bitching so much about this broadcast tonight, but it was just irritating to me. All right, then I'll go through some of the issues I had in terms of just the game in general. The first touchdown that the Vikings had, why is Judon in coverage? The Vikings are going no huddle, which I thought was smart because it makes it more difficult to set up your defense, get the double ready for Jefferson, and you have your base play calls. But I just felt like I never want Judon in coverage. In a critical down, I want Judon rushing the passer, so I hated that. Okay, so then the second touchdown drive for the Vikings where the Patriots bring the blitz on second down and it's incomplete to Hawkinson. And that brings up a third and 12 because on the play on first down, you got Cook in the backfield for a two-yard loss. So third and 12, Judon, who's been your best defensive player, he jumps. And the problem here is there is no way that the Vikings are picking up a first down there, right? Because if you think about it, the Vikings are going to check that thing down. And what happens is Jefferson makes that incredible catch on Jonathan Jones, 37 yards down the field, which is an incredible play. But what has happened so far this season for the Vikings is they have not been a great third down team. 21st in the NFL, just overall in third down, 37.9%. And then if you look at it in terms of DVOA, football outsiders metric, on third and long, they're 21st in the NFL. So they were going to concede that and punt. They were just going to do a little check down try to pick up a couple of yards and punt the ball. But instead, you get in a situation where the Vikings drive is extended because Judon jumps. And then again, one of your really good defensive players, Kyle Duggar on the touchdown, he doesn't get outside Hawkinson. Hawkinson ends up getting around him and Kirk Cousins finds him for the touchdown. So those two things in the game today where Duggar screwed up, two things in the game today where Judon screwed up, like these are really good players. But those two plays that both those guys committed, those were costly for the Patriots. And then I point to with the offense, After the game is tied up 26-26. So you go three and out in the first drive after that. Mack to Stevenson for one yard. Mack is incomplete to Aguilar. And then Mack throws the ball up to Jacoby Myers incomplete. I thought Myers could have come down with that ball, but Myers banged up in this game. I give him credit for trying to go out there. But nonetheless, after they tie it up 26-26, you get the three and out. Then after that, play action screen to Aguilar for a yard. Mack to Stevenson for eight yards. And then he's incomplete to Thornton, the play that Henry trips. I know the Patriots are looking for a penalty there. I didn't see it. Henry just kind of lost his footing. They got tangled up. So that's back-to-back three and outs after the game's tied at 26. And then if you look at after that, where you're starting off the drive really nice. Mack finds Bourne. Then he's incomplete on a throwaway. And then Ramondre, 40-yard pickup. You're like, okay, you're cooking with gasoline here. Then Mack to Stevenson for three yards, Stevenson no gained. And then the big one is Mack was sacked by Hunter and Trent Brown tried to cut him there, which I didn't, we'll ask James White about this, but I didn't really understand the logic behind that. And then he's incomplete to Aguilar down the field where I actually thought that was a pretty good ball by Mack. Aguilar had an opportunity late in that game when they're down 33-26 to make that play. He just couldn't come down with it. So I thought that was a good ball by Mack, but you get yourself in trouble there because of the sack that you allow. And that's been an issue for the Patriots all season. Now, I'll get into it in greater detail. The offensive line was better. The scheme was better today from a Patriots offensive standpoint. But that's a critical part of the game. You cannot take a sack there if you're Mac Jones. You got to get rid of the ball quickly. And I still don't understand the logic behind the cutting. Maybe James White will have a better answer than I do for you in just a little bit here. Another thing I'd point to is after the interception that set you up at the 17 in Minnesota, Bourne lost seven yards, and I'm not blaming this on Bourne. I'm blaming this on Patricia because Patricia did some good things today, 
But what the fuck are they doing? A reverse on second down, down in the red zone? That to me makes no sense. Like there's a lot that has to go right for that play to work. Like that's a really risky play in that particular situation. You're taking a big risk at losing yardage. And they did. They lost seven yards on that play. You know what that reminded me of? Actually, that's something like Josh McDaniels would do. And look, I know Matt Patricia is not a great offensive coordinator, but Josh McDaniels used to irritate me all the time with these crazy plays. And today I felt like there was no reason for that whatsoever. So you don't take advantage of the field position when you get set up at the 17, you get to settle for the field goal. And then another time you didn't take advantage of the field position was you think about it where Marcus Jones has the return out to the 49 yard line and you have to settle for a field goal on that drive. So you start at the 17 in Minnesota, you start at your own 49, both those drives, you get a total of six points. You got to be better than that if you're the Patriots offense. And it comes back to the whole, they're 31st in red zone offense entering tonight. And they were 0 of 3 today in terms of touchdown percentage in the red zone. And look, I still believe that the Hunter Henry play was a catch. So in my mind, they did have an opportunity where they at least scored once. But the red zone play calling, the boring thing, I just can't get over that. What is Patricia thinking there? That's something you do in the middle of the field. That's not a play that you run in the red zone. Patricia's red zone offense this season has just been bad and it's not getting any better. Like in a game tonight where the Patriots offense is actually playing really well, you can't even figure out plays in the red zone tonight. Even the play that should have been a touchdown, that's just an outstanding throw by Mac. That's not Patricia. That's an outstanding throw by Mac and an outstanding catch by Hunter Henry. The red zone stuff, they just got to clean this up because it's every single game. And tonight we saw it. It really cost you in this game. Oh, and I wanted to get to the drive right before halftime. That to me was just so poorly executed, right? So they start off the drive where Mac finds Henry for 22 yards to the 48. Why didn't Hunter Henry run out of bounds? He's running down the sideline. He's right next to the sideline. Get out of bounds. What are you doing? Just get out of bounds. All you got to do is get out of bounds and you save a timeout, but he doesn't get out of bounds. So you have to burn the timeout. And then Mac, he's rolling here, finds Parker for 16, finds Parker for 14. And then Mac makes a mistake where you're down in the red zone and Mac slides when he's pressured and you have to burn the final timeout. So you burn two timeouts on your final drive because your players who Mac is a cerebral player. We know he's smart. You can't do that. You can't slide there. And then Henry, you ha- this is a veteran in this league. You have to get out of bounds there. I mean, you have to realize the time and the situation. So then Mac ends up finding Aguilar f- for 13 yards, but then you have to spike the ball and then you're incomplete to born on a fade. You only get really one play there. And if you had saved your timeouts, you would have had more opportunities. So to me, those are just things that cannot happen if you're the Patriots from an offensive perspective. That This is stuff like, this is how you lose games. The special team stuff we were talking about, the situational stuff in terms of the defense, Duggar not staying outside on Hawkinson, not containing there. And then you think about Judon jumping, who's been your best player, giving the Minnesota Vikings offense life. Pierre Strong running into the punter. This stuff is why you lost the game tonight. And it's stuff that you should be able to control. The Patriots offense played well enough to win this game tonight, but you just had too many costly mistakes, which is the most disappointing thing in all of this, right? It's not just like you went to Minnesota and you got the shit beat out of you. No, the Patriots had a real opportunity to win this game and they made dumb mistakes, which throughout the Belichick era, we have not been used to, but we've become accustomed to them over the past couple of years, unfortunately. I did want to get to some of the nice things that you had in this game today. You think about the first touchdown that the Patriots had. I love that they put Aguilar in the slot. He's very productive when you put him in the slot. You went up-tempo, too, on that same drive where you had the pass to Myers. So the up-tempo stuff really helped the Patriots, and it really helped Mac Jones. And using your players in places where they have been successful, Aguilar's best season with the Raiders, it's not a coincidence that the percentage of his snaps were in the slot were way up that season. Start using him in that way. So I did think they did a good job with that. I thought they did a good job with Parker. And then I would point out, too, like the touchdown, something that we've been harping on all season long, the one to Henry, I should say, it's play action. It's a 37-yard pass. It's play action. That's the type of stuff that you need to do for the quarterback. That's the type of stuff we want to see more and more from Mac Jones. And we saw it. Play action pass to your tight end. We saw your tight end targeted in the red zone, which you love to see as well. So those are all good things. And I do want to give Jonathan Jones, when you look at him, he had the interception. That was a really nice play where he came off of Jefferson, passed him off to McCourty, then backed up. He was reading Cousins, made the interception. And that's a tough ass to cover Jefferson in this game. And he's had a really good season. Coming into tonight, he was third in completion percentage against 44.4, 52 passer rating against fourth. And look, Justin Jefferson had a big night, but you're asking a lot out of Jonathan Jones to try to cover that guy. 
another thing I wanted to mention too was I saw another nice game, I thought, or at least moments from Josh Uche where it does feel like, hey, he's really starting to break out. So after this is the fourth drive of the game for Kirk Cousins in that Minnesota Vikings offense where it's second and 15, Cousins is incomplete to Thielen, and it's Uche that's pressuring him. And really, you think about it, this is where the Patriots wanted the Vikings to live all day, right? They're 26 in DVOA and second and long. They had opportunities. Josh Uche at times was able to take advantage of them on that drive. And then you look at it, the first drive after the half, Uche had a huge sack and you get the ball back, give your offense an opportunity. So I thought Uche again played well. And that's definitely something that over the past month, I would say, you're really starting to see Uche, Uche rather come into his own. And we didn't know if that was ever, ever going to happen. He's a guy that came here in 2020 out of Michigan with a lot of hype, and he hadn't really flashed yet. And we've seen it. He's starting to come into his own. So you really like that. Oh, one thing on the broadcast too tonight. Did you hear what they said about Bill in the meeting? He compared Ramondre Stevenson to Lawrence Taylor and Tom Brady in terms of his growth. I love Ramondre Stevenson as much as anybody. I've been hyping him up all year. I was hyping him up, hyping him up before the year. But to compare Ramondre to Lawrence Taylor and Tom Brady in terms of the growth. I mean, I guess I do understand it in some aspect. Like Ramondre Stevenson went from being a good player last year that you felt like had a lot of promise as a rookie to one of the best running backs in the league. So I guess you do appreciate that. But I mean, it was crazy to hear Lawrence Taylor and Tom Brady mentioned with Ramondre Stevenson. Another thing tonight was the first quarter. The Patriots, and give Patricia credit for this, they've had so many slow starts this season. They came into tonight averaging 1.5 points per game in the first quarter, which is 31st in the NFL. And tonight, Good for them. They scored 10 points, which obviously you love to see. And I want to get to the quarterback now because I felt like Mac by far had his best game. And I don't even think it's debatable. And I believe this is massive for Mac going forward because you can't tell me that he wasn't struggling with his confidence because he has not played well for the entirety of the game all season long. I'm not telling you he was perfect tonight, but he was really good. You look at the numbers, 28 of 39, 71.8 completion percentage. And if you look at it in terms of on the season, Mac Jones has been somebody that he's been an accurate guy, but it you never really felt like, okay, they're really moving the ball because of Mac Jones. Like this is a machine offensively. And tonight it really looked like Mac was very comfortable in terms of just getting the ball out quickly. And that's why he was super accurate in this game. 382 yards, 9.8 yards per attempt. That's the one that sticks out to me. Tua leads the NFL at 9.1. Mac on the season is 16th at 7.1. He's up to 9.8 tonight. And then the passer rating, 119.8 tonight. On the season, he's at 80.8, which is 29th out of 36. Tua leads the NFL, by the way, at 118.4. And Mac Jones in this game is at 119.8. And you just think about this Vikings team. I understand they're not good from a pass standpoint. 31st in opponent's completion percentage, 69%. 23rd in passer rating against at 94.7. 267.3 yards per game, which is second worst to the NFL as well. So I get it. Like this is a game where Mac Jones should have performed well, but didn't we need to see it? Because we were really shaken, like as a fan base watching Mac Jones play because he had been struggling all season long. So just when it comes to that, the quarterback having a good game, this is a big development for the Patriots. That's what's so annoying about this loss. The offense played well. Mac Jones played well. I mean, the situational stuff, we get all that and I outline that. But man, I felt really good about the quarterback for the first time all season long, and you end up with a loss, which is just frustrating. One thing I will mention, too, I thought they did a good job getting the ball out quickly. The quick game was there, and we alluded to this, I can't remember if it was this week or last week, but just Mac in terms of getting rid of the ball quickly, under two and a half seconds, 29th of 39 quarterbacks in terms of the percentage of his passes that come under two and a half seconds, 42.4%. And if you go back to last year, that number was at 47.4%. And Mac Jones had a 102.6 passer rating under two and a half seconds last year. And the Patriots have not really had a quick game this year. So that was a major development to see, okay, what does Minnesota not do well? What are we trying to do? We're trying to protect our offensive line. We want to get the ball out quickly. And they actually took that game plan, which seemed obvious, and they put it on the field, and they had a lot of success doing that. So I do give Patricia credit when it comes to that. The other thing, until the end of the game, when it was like obvious passing situations, I felt like they did a really good job tonight protecting Mac, which I'm shocked that that happened because the offensive line has been such a mess. You didn't have David Andrews again. So I thought that would be a problem for the Patriots, and it really wasn't because coming into tonight, since the Dolphins game, 
And I took out the Bears game just because, I mean, that's a throwaway game where Max barely on the field. But if you look at it in terms of Max since that Dolphins game, his he was being pressured on 34.4% of his dropbacks, which would rank around 11th of the NFL this season in terms of 11th highest rate, which is obviously not good. So the Patriots did a really good job cleaning that up. So I did feel better about some of the stuff that Patricia did. But the big thing to me is I feel a lot better about where the quarterback's at. Now, we'll see if that carries over to the Bills, right? It's just one game. We have to see more from the quarterback. But man, Mac Jones's approval rating has never been lower since he was drafted from the Patriots. And it was good to see. I like that they got Parker involved, four for 80 for him. And you saw he was just using his big frame and Mac was confident throwing the ball in there. I do look at this in totality and say missed opportunity massively for the Patriots because you have the Bills next week and the Bills, I know they're not playing their best football right now, but it just felt like this is a huge game for the Patriots to win. And you get to that seventh win, you're sitting at seven and four, you beat a team that has a good offense if this was the hypothetical, and you start to feel a lot better about where you're at sort of in terms of trying to make a run in the second half of the season but you take a step back because you end up losing this game. So I thought that the Patriots had this game. They had a real opportunity to win. You heard me the other day. I picked them to win this game, and I feel like the Patriots should have won this game. The one big disappointment to me in terms of not just the situational stuff, like obviously we've gone over that. That's a massive issue. But the defense, man, the defense, we thought, okay, is this an elite defense? They were number one in a bunch of categories, EPA per play, all this, right? They had been dominant so far this season. But what was going to happen when you took a step up in competition? You look at the Patriots tonight. Entering this game, they had a 55.7% completion percentage against, which is first in the NFL. Well, that did not happen in this game tonight where Kirk Cousins was just completely ripping them apart and basically dissecting them where he's 30 of 37, 81%. Completed 81% of his passes tonight. And by the way, the Raiders are last in the NFL at 715 Kirk Cousins tonight at 31%. Then you look at just in terms of the yardage. The Patriots came in tonight giving up just 188.3 passing yards per game, fourth in the NFL. Tonight, Kirk Cousins threw for 299. Worst is Pittsburgh at 272.1. So the Patriots are significantly worse than the worst passing defense tonight. You look at the passer rating, 274 on the season, which is second. And then tonight, you had Kirk Cousins at 116.1. The Raiders are the worst team in the NFL when it comes to passer rating against at 106.3. You only sacked Kirk Cousins once. He's been sacked 27 times this year. That's the eighth most of the NFL. This should have been a game where they got after Kirk Cousins. They didn't do that. And this whole idea that we've talked about throughout the Belichick era, take it away your best player, making them play left-handed. Justin Jefferson, look, he made some unbelievable catches. One in a double team. We know that catch was ridiculous, but nine for 139 and one touchdown. You thought, okay, are you going to take care of Justin Jefferson? The Patriots didn't do it. Justin Jefferson dominated this game. You did hold your own against Dalvin Cook, where it's 22 for 42 yards, so he's under two yards a carry. I mean, that's good. You tried to put the game on Kirk Cousins. I mean, that's what it seemed like the game plan was. Don't let Cook get going. They had a lot of negative plays with Dalvin Cook, but the problem was they couldn't contain Jefferson in this game, and Kirk Cousins lit him up. Kirk Cousins owned them tonight, and this is sort of like the whole idea of this Patriots defense, right? When you look at the quarterbacks they've beaten, Zach Wilson twice, Sam Ellinger, Jared Goff, Jacoby Brissett, and Mitchell Trubisky. Trubisky doesn't have a job anymore. Wilson doesn't have a job anymore. Brissett is going to lose his job next week when Deshaun Watson is activated and Ellinger lost his job. So out of the quarterbacks, you beat the only guy that's going to be a starting quarterback for his team in week 12 is Jared Goff, so you need to have some credibility with this defense, right? I like a lot of the things they do. I like a lot of the players. I love Judon. I like Uche. I really like Jonathan Jones is having a good season. Dietrich Wise is having a good season. But it's really tough to look at this group and say this is an elite defense when those are the quarterbacks you've beaten and the guys you've lost to, Tua, Lamar, Fields, Cousins, and Rodgers. So all the good quarterbacks you've played this season, you've lost to. You have not beaten a good quarterback, and you've beat all the bad quarterbacks. Now, that's great that you're beating all the bad quarterbacks, but you needed your defense to show up tonight because your offense was good enough to win this game. And the defense, that's the biggest disappointment to me tonight, is the defense didn't get it done when the offense played tremendously well tonight. The best game the offense has played all season long, and the defense was a no-show. All right, a lot more to get into. Coming up next, we'll chat with three-time Super Bowl champ James White. 
Wearing a men's warehouse outfit makes you confident, like you could do anything. So you dance like no one is watching, even though everyone is watching. Because of the men's warehouse outfit, you interview like the job is already yours because it is. Because of the men's warehouse outfit, you golf as if the rules don't apply to you because you're too well-dressed for rules. Because of the men's warehouse outfit. At Men's Warehouse, get measured, get fitted, get hot, get confident in everything from tailored suits to underwear and all the stuff in between. Love the way you look at Men's Warehouse. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now, three-time Super Bowl champ, James White. James, how are you, man? Doing well, man. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Had a nice Thanksgiving. I hope you had the same, man. Chasing your kids around all day? Yeah, chasing the kids around, eating food, burning it off by chasing them. So that it worked out <laughs> for me. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Well, hey, this is a very entertaining game tonight, but let's just start with the headline of the Hunter Henry catch that was not a catch now I looked at it a million times we've seen all like the slow-mos on social media I still feel like that was a catch where do you come across on that one I thought it was a catch for sure I know I know what the commentators were saying where they thought it was clearly incomplete I didn't think the ball touched the ground even if it did touch the ground I thought he had his hand underneath and he had control and the ball didn't move till like he rolled over so I mean I thought it was a touchdown catch but then again we don't know what a catch is these <laughs> Every week, every week is called differently, and it's just up to the person who actually gets to make the call. That's what it seems like. Yeah, I can't wait to see like the review of that play because I truly believe that was a catch. Like the ball never hit the ground, so if the ball doesn't hit the ground, how is that not a catch? Like Hunter Henry, that that was a great play too. Like that was an outstanding play, and <laughs> yeah. you take four points off the board there. I mean, it's just yeah. it's inexplicable to me, and it's a great point on the commentators too because all they were doing is saying that. Well, he was across the plane, so he didn't need to do that. It's like he doesn't know at the time. Like he can't control, <laughs> control these things. It. Like what were they thinking? Yeah, like somebody's tackling him. He's trying to figure out where he's at. Not really sure exactly where he's at on the field, whether he actually, you know, crossed the goal line or not. So he's still trying to get that second opportunity to make sure he got across. So I think that's what he was trying to do because he wasn't sure he was across on the first attempt. So. I mean, they, they they make it seem like it's so easy from up there. <laughs> yeah. When those bullets are flying, it's, it's a little bit harder to, you know, make your decision in that situation. <laughs> yeah. And Jason Garrett said during the game that positive plays are good. It's like, thanks. <laughs> we appreciate that, Jason. Yeah, great, I, I, great job on the uh, analyst part of this game. Yeah. I mean, that was that was pathetic. The other big call, though, I thought was the face mask. And going back to the broadcast, I don't know why they didn't make a bigger deal out of this where... Mac Jones on a third down, clearly it's a face mask. It's absolutely blatant, and they missed that call as well. Now, I don't want to sound like I'm crying for the Patriots here, James, <laughs> but those are two massive calls where that one would have extended the play or extended the drive, rather, and the other one, that's four points that come off the board. Yeah, definitely some some questionable calls for sure, even the the call on Miles. I mean, I know that can go either way sometimes, depending who's you know refereeing the game with a defenseless receiver. I mean, he's going to catch a pass he was committed to going to hit him you know before he realized it was incomplete or hit the ground or whatever and even on the kickoff return touchdowns could have been a holding call on Duggar as well but at the same time you know Duggar in that position has to put himself in a better position to not get basically grappled and keep contained on that situation but it's definitely some calls in the game that were very questionable but they had their opportunities to not leave it in the ref's hands as well had opportunities to win that football game for sure. They just let it slip away. And it's, it's happened a few times this year. And they've been in, you know, some good games with some good football teams and just haven't found a way to close things out or make the plays at the end of the game to win. And I said those good football teams have to make those plays in order to win. Yeah, it's a good point, too, on the Duggar play because I thought that was a penalty as well. But, I mean, I'm sure that Bill's not going to have any empathy no. <laughs> for him on that play. But you think about the special teams, right? They had the kickoff return. And then you also had the play where critical part in the game where it's tied up and Pierre Strong, the rookie running back, runs into the kicker to extend the drive. And right there, you have an opportunity to go ahead. I mean, that's just stuff that can't happen, James. Yeah. I mean, they got to be a little bit more disciplined, even on the two-minute drive before the half. You know, Hunter didn't go out of bounds. Then Mac ends up, you know, taking the sack, not throwing the ball away. Just situations like that, they just have all have to be more in tune to what's going on and knowing the situation. And obviously, Pierre, he's young, but you got to know you, you're not, he was really far away from blocking that punt. Just get out of the way, just run right across the punter's face, you know, make him feel you or whatever, and just move on to the next time because they end up going down and scoring on that possession and 
I mean, you could say, I mean, obviously there's more plays in the game. That's definitely shifted the game for sure because they're about to get the ball back. Yeah, the Henry plays a good one to bring up too. What happened there? Does he just like lose track of what, does he not know how many timeouts there are? Like what happens in that situation? Because <laughs> look, it's easy for me to watch the game and say, run out of bounds. Yeah. Why aren't you running out of bounds? Like, I, I, I can't understand why. He, like he was right there. He's right next to the yeah. sideline. Why didn't he just go out of bounds? <laughs> yeah. In that situation, I'm, I'm not really sure what he was trying to do there. Maybe he's just trying to make some contact there, get a few extra yards. But at that point in the game, two-minute drive, I mean, those two, three extra yards he probably got or that he actually got is not making a difference. Rather keep the timeout and just get out of bounds. But, yeah, the clock management, as far as the players were concerned, they had to be a little bit more aware. Yeah, and then you look at the red zone issues. They were 0 of 3 today, although I still contend that they should have been 1 of 3 because the Henry thing should have been a touchdown. But – if you go back to the second, or I forget if it was the second or the first red zone trip where it's a reverse to Kendrick Bourne, it just yeah, feels like down, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so much has to go right for that play to work, James. I just feel like you were moving the ball pretty well in this game. I don't understand why you try to get cute there. I know some teams, or a lot of teams, when they get in the red zone right before the red zone, that's when they kind of draw up their trick plays because I mean, it's hard once you get a little bit more uh, con condensed field position, but... I don't really like that call in that situation. That type of reverse, I know we used to run that when I was there. It was kind of more happened like in the field a little bit to, you know, because we run that run in the field a lot. So I don't necessarily like that call either, but they got to definitely have to figure out the red zone issues. Good football teams, you got to be able to score in the red zone. Obviously, they played, you know, pretty well aside from the red zone. They scored outside the red zone, had some big plays just in that, you know, that fourth quarter, the last couple of drives, I couldn't really figure things out. All right, so this was like one of the only games that I can remember this year where Judon did have the one big play where on second or third down, second down, he forces the hold, which puts them behind the chains. But it did feel like Minnesota, whether it's because Kirk Cousins was getting the ball out quick, it did really seem in this game that they kind of took Judon out of it. Yeah, they had a good scheme. I mean, obviously, guy leading the league in sacks. He's going to be the center focus of their game plan. So make sure they had two guys on most of the time and make sure they mixed in a lot of run plays, a lot of boots, play actions to where he couldn't necessarily, you know, be too effective. But I thought he, he still played well. It's hard when they're focused yeah. on you each and every play. But I said defense had their opportunities well. There's a, a few interceptions that they dropped and things of that nature. Or when they had Justin Jefferson double covered and they let him, you know, beat the double coverage. So I know that's things that they'll harp on in the team meeting room. When you have a guy double, you can't let him make a play. That should be a win for the defense every time. So this – when the offense plays well, you know, unlike previous weeks, you know, the defense slips up on a few big plays and and special teams as well. And it's like they got they haven't had that game where everybody's working together. Offense is scoring points, defense is making stops, special teams is playing well. Just waiting for that full four quarter team game is gonna have to happen soon because the state of the division is is tough. Everybody's playing well in the division. Well, and that's what's kind of frustrating about tonight, right? Because if you go back to the Jets game, it's like you get the unbelievable return from Marcus <laughs> Jones. The defense just got Zach Wilson benched. So those two components were working and the offense was doing nothing in that game. And then tonight, the offense, I thought, played really well and the yeah. defense wasn't there. So it's just like, man, if if one of those two units just played well tonight, you probably win the game. But also on the defense, you mentioned Jefferson. Now, they did a really good job on Cook. He was under two yards a carry, but... Jefferson, now we all know how great the guy is, but he goes, what, nine for 139. It just felt like he was getting, I don't know if it was the scheme. I don't know if he's just that much better than everybody else, but it just felt like there were way too many times where he was kind of wide open. Yeah, it's definitely the scheme. It's similar to, you know, what they do with Cooper Cup, you know, week in and week out. You know, he's the guy getting at least almost half the receptions for that team, but they just do a great job of scheming things up, moving them around to where it's hard to, pretty much eliminate him every play. He's going to get some free access throws here and there. But I just think the times where they had him in double coverage, those were the big plays that they can't let give up. You have him double covered, let him run by you on a on a seam route. You have him double covered, he makes a tough catch between, you know, Jay Jones and, and Devin. So just those type of plays, you got to try and do your best. I, obviously, I know he's really good having a big year and he's a tough guy to cover. I thought Jay Jones held his own, you know, versus him a few times as well. But I said, hey, He's got to get those all three phases playing well together. Yeah, I thought Jonathan Jones did have a couple of nice plays. I mean, the interception was really nice where he came yeah. off and McCourty took him. So, And he's had a great season. I mean, coming yeah. into today, he's like top five in most statistical categories for cornerbacks. So he's played really well 
so far this season. But the quarterback today, Mac Jones, by far his best game of the season. Oh, before we get to his game, James, I loved that after the loss, how pissed he was. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm like mad that they lost, but I'm like, I love seeing the quarterback being that pissed off yeah. that he lost the game. He's definitely, you know, that type of competitor. He wants to win. He wants to be essentially perfect out there. I mean, even though nobody's going to be perfect, especially at the quarterback position, has much stuff that they have to do on the football field. He cares. He Obviously, he knows he's struggled, you know, the first half of the season and whatnot. He wants to go out there and play better, and he has these past several weeks, and he wants to win. I mean, that's why he's a starting quarterback for, you know, one of the greatest franchises in recent history, and he wants to win. He wants to be the guy. Obviously, there's a lot of chatter about people wanting the guy behind them to be in there and all that stuff. So he wants to win. He wants to compete. He wants to play hard. And he puts the work in each and every week. And like I said, he played extremely well today. I thought the offensive line did a great job protecting him, you know, aside from like the last few drives where it's straight drop back situations. And I thought Matty P did a great job. And Bill and Joe Judge had a great game plan as well. Just get the ball out of Max's hands, a couple quick screens, take some shots, a lot of play action, get Hunter. A lot of guys touch the football, which we haven't seen in, you know, quite some time with these guys. I think that's when they're at their best. You just keep mixing those receivers in, take some shots, get everybody the ball. Yeah, the two things that stuck out to me about what Patricia did, obviously the red zone, that's still an issue right now. But mm. you pointed out that Matt got rid of the ball quickly. That had been an issue this year where they weren't getting it out quickly. So you protect the offensive line when it comes to that. And the other thing I like, James, is. They started using tempo a lot in this game tonight, which we haven't seen for the majority of the season where they leaned on it a lot. And so when you do that, does that make it a lot more difficult on the defense to give you different looks? Like, do they kind of have to stay in their base stuff when you're going that quickly? They definitely have to stay in their base stuff. There's only so many calls they can get out and communicate very quickly. And it wears the defense out, especially when you play a pass rush like they have. Those guys are get a couple plays in, they're ready to sub out. And if you can keep them on the field tired, you're able to run the ball, stick some play action in, and they get a little bit undisciplined on the defensive side of things. And, you know, the the Vikings defense, is, they're a solid defense, but they're kind of bend but don't break. They'll, they'll give up and concede plenty of plays, hoping that they get a turnover, and that's kind of how they play. And I thought, thought the Patriots did a great job. They took advantage. They were a lot of too high safeties, and they got a couple shots running through the middle of the field. Like I said, I – I think they need to do more of that. Like I said, like you were saying, like last week, asking like what guys should step up. Devontae, you just get the ball to the guy. Like he doesn't need the crazy separation. <laughs> He's going to go make a play. Like he had an end cut, had a couple of deep routes. Just find ways to get all those guys the ball. Yeah, especially too, like after Myers went down early in this game. I know he came back in for a little bit, but obviously when he did, he wasn't himself. He was limited, but. It's a great point on Parker. I mean, he had, what, 80 yards in this game and a couple of big plays. Like at the end of that half, he hit him for 16 yards. He hit him for 14 yards. So maybe this will be sort of like the building block for featuring Parker more in the offense because clearly tonight, I mean, he was a game changer for this team. Definitely. I think they need to feature him more and more. Get Taekwon in there too. At least just put him on the field. They know when you put him on the field, they got to respect this speed. Just send him vertical. I'd send him vertical on every single place. You, <laughs> you know, you just see, see if they're going to defend it. When they don't defend it, just, just throw it to him. Even on the plate of Nelly, I'm sure that play probably wasn't designed. Probably to hit the guy going through the middle of the field. They didn't cover him. And boom, both those guys are extremely fast. And I said, I think they should run a lot more vertical routes with those guys. All right, two, like, locker room-related questions for you. So after this game from Mac, like, I understand everybody's going to be mad. They got to fly back from Minnesota. They lost. It's Thanksgiving. Like, you got to be upset after this one. But how important is it for the guys to see Mac have that type of game, right? Because we know that he had a really good rookie season, and it's no secret that he's been struggling. Obviously, guys in the locker room know that he's been struggling. But to see your quarterback have this type of performance, I mean, how important is that for the locker room? I think it's very important. Um, I think it's more important for himself just because mm. I think he was, I mean, I don't know personally, but lacking some of the confidence that he had coming from last year. I think the way he played last week helped build some confidence, you know, got a short week and he played extremely well again. And then you just kind of, it's just building blocks. And I think the more he gets comfortable, you know, with the play calling, understanding what they're trying to get accomplished week in and week out, it bode well, bode well for that entire offense. That's it. If he's playing like that, they're going to have an opportunity to win each and every week. And I said, this is the best I've seen them look as far as, you know, throwing the football consistently. It's been 
more of the running game than what they've leaned on in order to be able to throw the ball. And they didn't have that many rushing yards today. They threw the ball for a lot more. So, and it's tough against that defense because they like to create a lot of turnovers and he protected the football, which you know everybody wants him to do first and foremost. Yeah, I thought he played really well today. Oh, I, I want to ask you too. I forgot to ask you this earlier. Is the second to last drive of the game on third down? Why is Trent Brown trying to cut Hunter there? Uh, I, that had to been a a quick throw, three step drop. I think Mac just has to get rid of the ball there, just throw it into the ground. Can't hold on to it. I think that's the only reason he should be cutting is that the ball's coming out quick. I don't think it was supposed to be held for that long. So I think I that's all that was. Okay, so my other locker room question for you. How is it going to be whenever the, I mean, when do they reconvene? You think like Monday, Sunday, like when will they meet again? Uh, probably Monday. I feel like it'll be Monday. Or, All right. we, or maybe, maybe tomorrow. I, I kind of forget now. I'm, I'm acting like I'm so far removed. Maybe either tomorrow or Monday, but that special team meeting is not going to be a phone. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So if it's Monday, I feel like that's going to be worse, right? Because yeah. Duggar and Strong have got to now sleep for like three nights before they get into that meeting room with Bill. Like that's going to be awful, right? Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a tough one to watch for sure. <laughs> you know, we pride ourselves on special teams in the Patriots organization. And essentially, you could say that's the reason, one of the reasons or a big reason why they lost that football game. You know, you score a touchdown, give up a kick return right after, stop them on defense. About to get the ball back, rough the rough the punter, and then they go down and score. And I mean, that's was I'm pretty sure that's the last score of the game, and just tough. Can you remember like when was the worst one for you guys? Like, I mean, what I, offensively, you guys were pretty good. Like, obviously, elite most seasons. The only year I can remember when you were there that the offense wasn't great was like nineteen. Oh, uh, as far as you talk about special teams playing that way, or just in general? No, I'm talking about like you guys in the offense getting chewed uh. up. I mean, 2020, we were pretty bad offensively. <laughs> yeah, true. I forgot about that. Yeah, we were pretty bad that year. 2019, we weren't the greatest either. I know we were like 8-0 or whatever. We weren't really playing anybody. And then once we started playing the good teams, we kind of dwindled off a little bit. So we had, we had a few years where, you know, the defense was kind of carrying us for the most part. We just kind of doing our part, scoring just, just enough points to win. So there's different – Different ways you could do it for sure. Sometimes defense is going to be greater than offense. And offense is going to be greater than defense. And sometimes you have two great sides of the ball plus special teams. So you got to find a way to win football games. Yeah. And then just looking ahead, James, now you got to play Buffalo. And look, that team has not looked good the past couple of weeks. We talked about them briefly last week. They look a little bit vulnerable. Allen's turning the ball over a lot, like in the red zone. He had a bad interception today as well i mean just looking ahead what are your early keys to that one against buffalo just don't give up big plays and try and contain him as much as possible um he's at his best when you let him scramble around or you just give him running lanes on drop back pass plays i think just don't give up the big play and then he will give you opportunity as he has in previous weeks to create turnovers on, on him and i think they have to capitalize when he does you know give give you those opportunities i think that's the key to that game Obviously, Buffalo has a lot of injuries as well, especially on the defensive side of things. So take some shots. Those, those DBs, they they held their own the first half of the season. Now they're kind of getting a little bit exposed there. You know, those young guys, they, they, they're they there on most of those contested catches that have been made on them in the past several weeks. But we have a lot of guys on the Patriots who can make those contested plays. So give them a chance. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But I just felt like banking this win today would have been so huge. This no. game and the Chicago game are the two games that you're going to look back and be like, man, no. you got to win those two games, especially the situation they put themselves in against the Vikings. Hey, before we let you go, Damian Harris, I feel bad for him. He's in a contract year and he was dealing with an illness and then he was injured. And today he gets injured again. Obviously, Ramondre Stevenson has sort of jumped him on the pecking order in terms of the snap counts. I just feel bad for the guy, James, because he was hoping, I assume, for a big payday this upcoming offseason. Just kind of sucks that this is the position he's in based on the season so far. It definitely stinks not being out there as much as he wants to be. I know he's one of my good friends, a really tough competitor. Uh, he's been banged up a little bit, but I said there's still a lot of football to play, and hopefully the injury that he suffered today isn't too serious so he can get back out there. And like I said, the, that free agency this year for running backs is going to be really competitive, but he's he's young and he's – he showed what he can do. I think somebody will give him an opportunity regardless of the fact. He just has to keep himself healthy. He's a really good football player. 
Yeah, and like the running game is back. Like people are running the ball way more than being way yeah. more successful <laughs> than they have in previous seasons. I mean, obviously there's been a passing boom the past 15 years or so, but we've seen the running game is like really back this year. So hopefully he gets a good payday if it's not New England. I hope he gets it somewhere else because I mean, the guy's been an incredible pro and an incredible like leader and member yeah. of this organization. All right, that is three-time Super Bowl champ James White. James, thanks so much for staying up late with us on Thanksgiving, man, and we'll chat again next week. No problem. Talk to you guys next week. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Great stuff, of course, from James White. As always, love talking to him after these games. And, man, it just feels like the Patriots let that one slip away. It's unfortunate. All right, we got time for a couple of calls, so let's get to those. 617-396-7172 is the number. 617-396-7172. Who's up first? Hey, Brian, Luke from the South End here. You know, I thought the Patriots gave a good effort this night against the Vikings. I thought Mac Jones played well. I thought the offensive line played okay. Uh, Matt Patricia's play calling was okay, was serviceable. The thing that really got me upset was special teams. And, I mean, obviously you had the, the Pierre Strong running into the kicker sort of issue, and then um, you know, you had the kick return for a touchdown, and I think, you know, both of those turned into touchdowns, which is a huge reason why you lost the game. Um, I guess another thing, too, that I want to ask your, your thoughts on was the refereeing, because I thought the refereeing, um, I mean, look, some calls are going to go your way, some calls aren't, but there were just a number of calls, whether that be, like, you know, the potential pass interference on the on the catch to Bourne, you know, at the end of the second half, or the, um, the Kyle Dutter holding on the kick that turned into a touchdown, or just felt like there was, you know, constantly penalties on the Patriots throughout the game or no calls for the Patriots throughout the game that really, really impacted the outcome of, of how this happened. So love to get your thoughts on that. Thanks, Brian. Love the show. All right, I'll start with the second part first is completely with you on the officials. I hit on it off the top. I still believe that Hunter Henry caught that ball. And then I don't know how you missed the face mask. I really don't. I don't know how you missed the face mask. This is a huge game. The officials have got to be ready for this. That's a momentum changer. That extends the drive for the Patriots. That's a bad penalty for the Vikings that wasn't called. To me, that just pisses me off that they missed that. Now, in terms of the special teams, yeah, those are huge momentum shifts too. Pierre Strong, when you go and you run into the punter like that, you extend the drive for Minnesota, you're getting the ball back in a tie game. That can't happen. Pierre Strong cannot be running into the punter in that particular situation. And the Duggar one, yes, I believe it was a penalty, but you can't let that happen. You cannot let that guy get outside of you. So the special teams was such a killer for the Patriots after being so good in terms of the return game. He had another good return for Marcus Jones tonight. But all in all, the special teams costing you tonight, it just cannot happen. In terms of Patricia, I agree with you. Outside of the red zone stuff, I thought he actually had a good game. I thought the game plan was good to get Mac, getting rid of the ball quickly, spreading it around, using some tempo stuff. So I thought the game plan was good. The only thing that I would really harp on with Patricia is the one that sticks out to me the most, the Bourne thing. I mean, come on, don't do that. Why are you running a reverse there? You're moving the ball consistently. Don't do that. It just made no sense to me whatsoever. All right, who's up next? Brian, John in the car. After watching Jason Tatum boom yet another team and getting to the paint with authority another night, it's hard to not get excited even though it's November. But I've got visions of Lob Williams coming back to this team and not just impacting with great defense, but wondering what this offense is going to look like with the Lob coming back. Great to hear from you all the time. Keep it up. All right, John. Appreciate it, my friend. Yeah. I mean, 
I need a cigarette after hearing that about Rob Williams. Like, I'm thinking about what Rob Williams is going to mean for this team. And he's, John's right. I mean, I talked about it earlier this week. He brings so much to the offense. Like, this offense is already great. And Robert Williams brings a dimension that they don't have. Vertical spacing. It's going to be incredible. I mean, how do you defend? Say the hypothetical is this. You have a pick and pot where Tatum is uh, has the ball at the top of the key. You run him off a Rob Williams screen. And then Jalen sets a screen. Jalen pops and Robert Williams goes to the basket. It's going to be, you can't defend it. I cannot wait to see this. Like, I'm so excited to see Robert Williams when he gets back. And we all know what he means for the defense. Once he comes back and he's playing on the defensive side of the ball for the Celtics, they're going to turn back into an elite defense. I cannot wait for Robert Williams. All right, by the way, great calls tonight. If you want to leave a voicemail, you can. The number is 617-396-7172. But I want to piggyback off what John was saying about the Celtics team. So it jumped out to me last night watching that game against the Mavericks that the Seas have done such a better job building around their superstar than the Dallas Mavericks. Like Luka is a tremendous player, but last year getting to the conference finals, it almost kind of seems like fluky to me. He's great, but that was not a conference finals level team. It was almost like to me when LeBron James led the Cavaliers to the NBA finals in 2007, it was just like one guy put the team on his back. And you juxtapose that Mavericks team to the Celtics, I would be shocked if they're not in the conference finals again. I would be shocked if the Mavericks are. If the Celtics aren't, I'll be shocked. They're that good. They're on a 63-win pace. And I heard Bill talking about this on his podcast Tuesday with Haralabob about the Western Conference and some of the flaws with this Mavericks roster. So they brought up on that podcast the second best player. Who's the second best player after Luka? Christian Wood probably should be, but there's stuff going on with him in terms of the trust issues. He doesn't even start. So I guess by default, it's Spencer Dinwiddie, who was minus 23 on Wednesday night, the worst plus minus in the game. And think about how many Celtics you would take over Dinwiddie. When you're talking about building around your superstar with Luka compared to Tatum, and you look at the second best player on the Celtics is obviously Jalen. I mean, you take him over Dinwiddie. Rob, who's hurt, you would take over Dinwiddie. Brogdon, you would take over Dinwiddie. I would take Smart over Dinwiddie because what he brings you defensively. And I would take Grant over him because of, ideally, I believe Dinwiddie is like a third guard that comes off the bench and gives you scoring. And I value what Grant can do at both ends where he can cover so many different positions. Remember, you used him a ton on Giannis in the postseason last year. And Grant is so important to your spacing offensively. I know he didn't have a great game Wednesday, but in terms of his shooting, And you think about Dinwiddie, he's the second leading scorer on the Mavericks. He averages 17.3 points per game. That's 16.7 less than Luka. They can't do anything with Luka off the floor. Like he has to be the alpha and the omega to that offense. So mainly what I'm pointing out here is Danny and Brad deserve a lot of credit for the roster that this team has built. They've done everything to set up their superstar to win. And with the Mavericks right now, when I looked at that team last night, it feels like they've failed their superstar. And now with the conference finals trip, they're going to have even more pressure on them. So I just feel like I know it's Thanksgiving, et cetera, like grateful that the Celtics have done a good job, an outstanding job putting a roster around Tatum because you juxtapose that to the Mavericks and they've done a horrible job. And I was also thinking about this, too. Not to take anything away from the C's because we mentioned the roster is stacked, the best roster in the NBA. But Tatum, to me, compared to Luka, he's easier to build around. So Luca, by the way, has a 37.6% usage rate, which is just absolutely insane. But I think that's the only way you can play with Luca. He doesn't really move off the ball. Like you see Curry, he's flying around. He doesn't really do that. Luca reminds me sort of of a souped up version of James Harden. That's actually, you know, Luca's good in the postseason, unlike James Harden. But you get my point, right? And you can win that way, but you have to have a really specific roster, right? You think about Harden. He had a chance to go to the finals when he was with the Rockets in 18. They had the perfect roster around him, right? Chris Paul, who was another top 20 player. I mean, you could argue top 15 still at that particular point in time. And then you had all wings and shooters, right? I mean, that was their thing. They wanted to switch everything defensively. You had Eric Gordon, who's still really good. You had Trevor Ariza, who at that time was a good defender, could shoot threes. And P.J. Tucker, shoots corner threes, can switch everything. So you had the perfect roster around Harden. I just feel like building that type of roster, it's a very difficult thing to do to find all those wings. And You kind of need that type of stuff with Luka where you need all these shooters around him and you need good defenders around him. And with Tatum, he's the Celtics' best defensive player right now without Rob. I truly believe that. And you can do so many things with Tatum offensively. 
He'll screen. Luka doesn't do that shit. He can obviously run your offense. You can actually post him up. Now, Luka posts up too, but you realize Tatum right now is averaging 1.32 points per post up. That's the best in the NBA this year. And it's incredible. Luka's good at it too. He's really good. But Tatum's the best in the NBA this year on a per possession basis. But the post ups, they're also like different with Tatum. Tatum actually like gets to the post by cutting or once he gets a switch on him, he'll go down there. With Luka, it's more like he backs his guy into the post, right? With Tatum, it's more natural. And here's something else that sticks out to me is Tatum had a great block on Luka last night. It's LeBron-like where he baits you into it. Now, LeBron did this in transition, the chase down block. Tatum, and it's a trick that obviously he does, the guard thinks he beats him. In the case of Luka, Luka's six foot seven, whatever he is, he thinks he has Tatum beat. And Tatum just comes over his head and blocks that shot. Where Luca, you got to dunk that if you're Luca. So Tatum baits you into that. It's a very crafty thing he does defensively. And you just look at that game last night. The Celtics scored 31 points on Luca as the primary defender. Tatum, on the other hand, the Mavericks scored six points on him as the primary defender. The Celtics are going at Luca. And the Mavericks are trying to avoid Tatum. See, to me, that's the difference. And look, I know the national take is that Luka is a superior player to Tatum, but I would rather have Tatum. He doesn't have flaws in his game at all. The guy took 15 free throws against the Mavericks. He blocked two shots. He had 10 rebounds. He had five assists. He had 37 points. Even though Luka had more points, Tatum was better in that game. And it's just so much easier to build your team around an elite two-way wing than a ball-dominant guard that's at the very least a below average defender. If you want to maybe say average, I can't get there. He's a below average defender. I mean, look at what the Suns did to him in the postseason last year. I know he came back and he won that series, but when you get targeted like that, that's a problem. Tatum, you're not going after Tatum. Nobody wants to go at Tatum on that end of the floor right now. And remember, the last decade was dominated by Steph Curry and then two-way wings, LeBron, Kawhi, and Durant. Now, Tatum, of course, needs to have a better postseason, of course, but right now, he wears the crown as the best two-way wing in the NBA, and that's the most important thing to have in this league. Recent history tells us, unless you have the best shooter in the history of the sport in Steph Curry, you need that elite two-way wing. And even Curry, two of his championships, remember, came with Kevin Durant, not to take anything away from Curry, but that is such an important element to this league now, And Jason Tatum's the best guy at it right now. So that's why, to me, I would take Tatum over Luka, especially just looking at all the stuff that Tatum can do, being a strength of the defensive end, and then the other component, too, is just, man, the Mavericks, that roster is bad. That roster is really bad. I don't know why they don't have Jalen Brunson. Like, why wouldn't you bring that guy back? That makes no sense to me whatsoever. Okay, I did want to get to the Red Sox real quick here because... They make a signing yesterday, Yoeli Rodriguez, lefty, bullpen arm. So the Sox give him a one-year, $2 million deal. Base is 1.5. You have a club option for a 24 at $4.25 million. So that's a really cheap deal. This is an upside play for the Red Sox because the stuff is filthy. And I'll get to that in a second. Here is the concern. Rodriguez, a 12% walk rate. That ranked 137th out of 152 qualified relievers. So he walks the ballpark. The Sox, we know, had issues with ball four last year. Diekman or as I call him, Walkman, was horrible, walked the ballpark. And the bullpen in general, a 9.9% walk rate, which ranked 25th in Major League Baseball. So this is a risk. And remember, Cora, when he came on the pod, he said, we need guys that throw strikes out of the bullpen. Rodriguez has had a real issue with this. So that's the risk. But here's the upside. Can pitch to both righties and lefties, actually slightly better against righties, and that's because he has a nasty changeup. Righties were just 12 of 63 against his changeup. They hit 190. 39.3% whiff rate. So basically one out of every four times that they swung at his changeup, they were whiffing. So some other good numbers, the hard hit rate, balls off the bat, 95 plus miles an hour, 31.8%. That was 23rd among relievers. So he's getting a shit ton of soft contact. The chase rate, 35.7%. That was in the 94th percentile. So he gets guys to chase. So the big thing with him is, can he use his changeup? to get soft contact because the changeup is good enough if you throw it in the strike zone. So the big thing with this guy is just going to be, can he throw strikes? But if you look at it, I don't mind a deal like this because it's a high upside play. I know you're looking at Brian, they walk all these guys in the bullpen, but if the Red Sox baseball people now can get him right, this could be a really big move for the Sox in terms of adding another guy that has filthy stuff to the bullpen. The big question to me about this bullpen is Josh Taylor, right? Because if you get him back, that's a game changer. Didn't pitch last year, was dealing with those back issues. 
so far his offseason has been fine. But you think about it two years ago, 28.7% strikeout rate, which is really good. 51st out of 191 relievers. So good strikeout numbers. We know the slider is nasty. Had a 47.3% whiff rate with that pitch. So almost half the swings guys were whiffing at. And opponents hit just 175 against it. And we know that the Sox last year didn't have a good option from the left side. And lefties against Taylor hit 146 in 2021. He was one of the best left-handed relievers against left-handed batters in the entire sport. And you didn't have that all season long. So if this is the move they add from the left side, just based on Rodriguez, his track record with the walks, I believe what this tells us is they believe the Taylor's going to be good to go and the Taylor's going to be the guy that we saw two years ago, which is a good sign to me. Now, the Bogart situation, we can complain that it hasn't gotten done yet and that it shouldn't have gotten to the point where it got to the offseason. But at this point, it kind of sucks because you have to remember that he's repped by Boris. So this thing is going to drag on. But knowing that the... Socks are going after Bogarts and try to get Bogarts done. It does tell me this. And maybe I'm going to look dumb in a couple of weeks for saying this, but it makes me feel that if they don't land or Z- if they don't land Xander, which is priority number one, get Xander done. I believe they're going to go after Correa or Turner, and I would hope it's Correa over Turner if that's the case. But them wanting Xander back tells you that they put a premium and there's an importance to the player on having that shortstop be a pillar of the organization. So if you can't get Xander done, you have to get one of these other two guys. And I do truly believe that the Red Sox will do that. I know there was reports earlier in the offseason that they were calling around, asking about second baseman. I believe they're going to get one of the three shortstops here. Dansby Swanson, I believe, is going back to Atlanta, but I believe they get one of these three guys done. All right, as always, make sure to give us your voicemail, 617-396-7172, 617-396-7172. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Cerruti for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days.